Hi, I'm Rick Ryman, host of Audibly Speaking, a show on the stories behind the stories of our time. By sounding out on these stories, we give voice to them and hear them for the first time. From the news of the day to history and literature, from audiobooks to leaders on the stump, we examine the backstories of our time, audibly speaking. The Red-Headed League was said by Arthur Conan Doyle to be his second favorite short story in one of his favorites lists that he enjoyed publishing from time to time. There are 56 short stories in all of the Holmes canon. The Red-Headed League is the first of the Holmes stories to feature a night watch where Holmes and Watson wait in the dark in a creepy room for the denouement of the story to occur. I have narrated this story in my podcast series, Audibly Speaking, but here I want to introduce it and some of its unique features in the Sherlock Holmes canon. First, it is by far the funniest, most tongue-in-cheek of the Holmes stories. It centers on the Dickensian character of Mr. Jabez Wilson, a red-headed buffoon who is taken to the cleaners, so to speak, by a criminal named John Clay, who in turn is supposed to be the fourth smartest man in London, according to Sherlock Holmes. Wilson is said to be a pawnbroker who is an elderly man, one who improbably has a full head of fiery red hair. This appears to be a mistake by Doyle, since an elderly man would presumably have graying hair, and we know from the story that Wilson did not and could not have colored his hair red. He hires an assistant who agreeably takes the job at his pawnbroker's office at a half-pay rate. Wilson sees nothing strange about this, but Holmes knows that the assistant, Vincent Spaulding, must have an ulterior motive for taking such a cut-rate position. Spaulding shows Wilson an advertisement announcing an open position in an organization called the Red-Headed League, which was set up as a bequest from a red-headed American millionaire who wanted to do a good turn for all the red-headed men living in his hometown of London. For purely nominal work, the copying of articles in the Encyclopedia Britannica from 10 o'clock a.m. to 2 o'clock p.m. each day, one lucky redhead would earn four pounds a week. The gullible Wilson allows Spaulding to drag him to the interview where hundreds of other red-headed men are lined up to be interviewed by Mr. Duncan Ross for the position. Spaulding pushes Wilson ahead of all the others and into the interview room. Amazingly, his head is pronounced the most fiery of all, and he gets the job. Wilson finds the job agreeable in every way for eight weeks. But then, when he shows up for work one day, he is greeted by a locked door and a note on it that the Red-Headed League has been dissolved. Someone tells him that the man who rented the workroom left a forwarding address. Wilson heads there, but it turns out only to be an office selling artificial kneecaps. 
Wilson then goes to Sherlock Holmes and asks him to solve the mystery. I will reveal no more of the story, but merely allude to several funny elements and slip-ups. Upon meeting Wilson, Holmes makes a series of amazing deductions about Wilson's background, about his having performed manual labor, of habitually taking snuff, of believing in Freemasonry, and of having traveled in China. Aside from that, Holmes pompously says, I know nothing whatever about you. When Holmes agreeably explains how he reached these deductions, Wilson puts him in his place, much to Holmes' chagrin, by saying, I thought you had done something clever, but I see that there was nothing in it at all. Watson finds this amusing, but charitably does not lord this over Holmes. Holmes vows not to be so free and easy with the sharing of his methods in the future. Dorothy Sayers, the famous English detective writer, points out that the morning interview of hundreds of red-headed men must have taken place on the English bank holiday, August 1890, because how else could so many men be off of work to participate in the interview? Other observers have pointed out that if John Clay was the fourth smartest man in London, he must have been in league with someone smarter, possibly the infamous Moriarty. In the Grenada series on British television in the 1980s and 1990s, Jeremy Brett plays Holmes in an episode of the Red-Headed League that in fact includes Moriarty as the agent behind all the skullduggery and red-headed tomfoolery in the story. It is interesting that in 1920, when the Stoll Film Company was preparing to film an adaptation of the Red-Headed League, the company got a brilliant idea about how to attract potential extras for the interview scene. According to Leslie S. Klinger, author of The New Annotated Sherlock Holmes, the film company posted an advertisement in the London Times of January 20th, 1920, declaring as follows, On account of circumstances not unconnected with the bequest of the late Hezekiah Hopkins of Lebanon, Pennsylvania, USA, lucrative employment for one day only is now available for 20 curly red-headed men who are sound in mind and body, those who have served in His Majesty's forces and have some knowledge of acting preferred. End quote. According to Klinger, 40 curly red-headed ex-servicemen applied to the Cricklewood studio, and the producer decided to engage them all. End of quotation. I hope you enjoy my reading of The Red-Headed League, available on my podcast, Audibly Speaking, wherever you get your podcasts. Canonically speaking, this is your host, Rick Ryman. That's it for today's episode of AudiblySpeaking.com. New podcast episodes appear on AudiblySpeaking.com approximately once every two weeks. Please subscribe to Audibly Speaking on iTunes or whatever podcast aggregator you enjoy. Until next time, this is Rick Ryman. Happy listening.